My name is Paul Graham. I'm lead teaching pastor here at Lakeside, so we just welcome you, especially cottagers and guests and uh, parents of kids who have been in the VBS. And uh, it's just been a great week. We're in the middle of a series right now, our summer series on the Psalms, and um, I forgot to give them the PowerPoint, so you're just going to have to follow along. <laughs> Such a busy morning, it just slipped my mind. I just realized that now. Um, but one of the things that the kids learned in, uh, you probably picked up on it, what the kids learned through the week is that God provides and all those other things, and so trust God, exactly, yeah. So I thought it would be appropriate this morning to do Psalm 127. Uh, Psalm 127 is probably one that you remember. It talks about children being arrows, uh, uh, like uh, arrows in the hands of a warrior, and blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them, and all those things. And uh, you probably remember that the most about Psalm 127, that, that, that middle part, or that end part about kids. But in fact, uh, Psalm 127 is actually about trust. It's about trusting in God. That's the whole theme of Psalm 127. And so if you turn with me to Psalm 127, we're going to quickly look at this short little psalm. And uh, Psalm 127 is uh, one of the songs of ascent. And uh, Jerusalem is a, a city uh, built on a on the peaks of low mountains. So you think of the city of Jerusalem and you think of the temple and the temple mount where all of Israel went to worship. That is a city that's built on a, on a range of mountains. It's built across a couple of peaks. And on a few occasions each year, the people of Israel would gather in Jerusalem at the temple for the different feasts. Some of you maybe have heard about the feasts of Israel. And making that trip from their homes, which would be down around the Sea of Galilee or along the Jordan River in the lowlands and on the plains next to the Mediterranean, as those people of Israel would make the journey to Jerusalem, they were always traveling uphill. They are traveling up the mountain paths towards the city of Jerusalem, uh, towards the temple. And so there, there came a set of psalms or a set of songs uh, in the book of Psalms that are called the Songs of Ascent because you are ascending as you sing these songs, and they're the Psalms of 120 through to 134. Those are the songs of ascent. And these are songs that the people of Israel would sing as they were making the journey from the lowlands of Israel up the mountain roads to the peaks of the holy city of Jerusalem. And so they're called the Songs of Ascent. And, and these songs cover a range of topics. They're kind of traveling songs. You know, when you're traveling with your kids, you kind of put on the radio or you throw that favorite CD in and you sing the songs as you're going to pass the time because it's a long journey, right? And uh, these were these songs that they sang as they traveled as a community, as a families together. And they covered a whole range of topics. So in these Psalms of Ascent, there are songs of joy and there are songs of praise and there's songs for patience even. That was probably sung when the kids have asked, are we there yet for like the 300th time? They sang the song of patience. And then there were songs about God's plan for his people and songs of mercy. And that was probably sang when the kids asked, are we there yet for like the 900th time? They were leading mercy. And then there were songs of community and their songs of affection. And their songs of repentance, which was probably after they tied their kid to a camel and gagged them for asking, are we there yet? The 901st time. And so they had all these different songs and different topics that they sang as they traveled as a family. And I might have been exaggerating and linking too many of them to the kids. But, you know, the reality is these were songs that were sung together in community. They were sung as families. And as they're written here and inspired by the Holy Spirit, they're written to encourage God's people in community. And as they lived and traveled together, not just to Jerusalem, but through life. And so you can just imagine 
these Israelites traveling with their families up these paths in their caravans singing these songs. And the theme of the short song that we're going to look at today does involve children, and it involves families, and it involves whole communities. And the song today addresses the topic of where real security comes from. Who do we trust? And so as these Israelites traveled by foot on these dangerous roads through Samaria and through the mountain passes, security was on their mind. They were thinking about how do we remain secure? How do we, how are we kept safe? How are we all kept safe? Where does the hope for our children come from? Who do we entrust the future of our family to? And that's what this Song of Ascent talks about. It talks about security. It talks about trusting in God. And the ability of the book of Psalms, as I mentioned before as we go through these, to teach us is most effective when we put ourselves in the place of the songwriter. We imagine ourselves, when we read the Psalms, struggling with their very common day-to-day worries and problems. And we see from the songwriter's perspective the answer that God then gives them in the song. And so let's try to do that as we read this short song today. And it's Psalm 127, and it's just five verses. It says, Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest to his loved ones. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. And this was the song that they sang as they traveled with their family. Let me just pray as we open up God's word. Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit here this morning to teach us what your scripture means, to open up the meaning of these verses to us and apply them to our own lives so that we can participate in the transformation that your Holy Spirit would have for us, that we would gain from the wisdom that your Holy Spirit has placed in your scripture for us, that we would be changed today by what we take away and what's impacted us in our hearts and our minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so this song, as I mentioned, it speaks to the theme of security. It speaks to the theme of trust. It's asking the question, what will give us lasting security as we travel along through life? And the song begins in the psalmist, who is actually Solomon. It reads in the title that this is a song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem, a psalm of Solomon. And you remember who Solomon is, right? One of the wisest and greatest kings of Israel. Second, perhaps, only to King David himself. He's the son of David. And he was um, really one of the last of the great kings of Israel. And this was a song that was written by him. And he begins, actually, in this song by giving three false hopes. It starts out by giving three wrong answers. And false hope number one is that security comes from our skill in building up material things. The first verse of this psalm is actually used as a Latin motto for a very major European city. And in Latin, it's Nisi Dominus Frustra. Nisi Dominus Frustra, which means without God, frustration, right? Which is that first verse. If, if, the, Lord, if, the, if, if the Lord does not build the city, then we build in vain. And so this Latin verse is actually used as a motto, and it's, it's the motto of Edinburgh. And it's interesting because if any city in Europe might have put its hope in its own construction, it may have been Edinburgh. 
The city of Edinburgh is dominated by a virtually unassailable fortress, and I had a great picture of it. So just imagine up there that there's this amazing picture of the fortress of Edinburgh. It's impressive, and it was taken from a low angle, so it looks really big. And uh, But no, on the mountain, or on the cliff face of Edinburgh, uh, there is a fortress built there. And so it's interesting that this city, of any city that might put its trust in the skill of its builders, it would have been Edinburgh. Edinburgh, when that fortress was built and when this motto was taken on for the city, it was not part of the United Kingdom. It was part of the divided kingdom, right? It was part, it was at war. Edinburgh was at war with everybody around them. Scotland, England, Ireland, they're all at war with each other at the time. And that fortress was built to protect the city. But in this city, as secure as it was, the builders of this fortress and the builders of this city adopted this Latin motto. They, they said, unless God builds, we build in vain. And that's interesting because they must, when they came up with that motto, understood exactly what the meaning of Psalm 127 was. That it is about security. And in those ancient times, it was about the houses and the structures that we build to try to protect ourselves. And as we think about it in our times, perhaps, we think about houses and buildings and roads and infrastructure in our first world nation. We think about all those things and how secure they make us. But we also probably think about maybe financial structures or savings plans or economic frameworks or, you know, the Bank of Canada and all the regulations that we have around our, our finances, that we devise these things, that we build these structures in our society to guard for our future security. But as these Israelites are climbing the road towards Jerusalem, they're considering the same thing. They're considering the grandeur and the security of the city of Jerusalem. They're traveling to the the pearl of their nation. This is the city of Jerusalem. In those, uh, it was the holy city, uh, the city that had its last great public works overhauled by King Solomon himself, the man who wrote this song. And so the thought here is of Solomon's palace the first great temple that he built to God. Literally nothing else was like it in the whole world. It was the richest and wisest king and builder in the Middle East and the richest city in the Middle East. And this is what they were traveling up to as they're singing this song. And the very first line that they sing is that unless the Lord builds, we build in vain. This is like the equivalent of New York City in its prime. This is Wall Street. This is the stock exchange. This is the whole economy of North America in the golden 50s and 60s. There was nothing more secure in the world, right, than that great North American juggernaut economy. But was it as secure as we thought it was? All the ingenuity, all the economics, all the brilliance of Wall Street, all the finances and the banking and all those structures and systems that we built were not nearly as secure as we thought. And as these Israelites traveled towards this great city and this temple, the pilgrims sing, unless the Lord builds, even this great city is built in vain. They were saying to themselves and singing to themselves, we have to trust in something greater than our own skill and ingenuity or it will fail. Israel had seen their nation fall countless times before. And so they were not unaware of history. And every time, if you study in the Old Testament, if you start with the books of Moses, which he eventually did get around to writing down, and we have for us today, if you study in those books the history of the nation of Israel, every time they took their eyes off of God, their nation fell. And every time they turned their eyes back to God, he restored their nation. And so they're remembering this and they're singing this. 
Solomon knows and these people know that it is a false hope to trust in our own skill, in our own building of a nation. There has to be something stronger to build a community, a city, a nation, and a family on that will outlast just our homes and our buildings and our infrastructure. And Jesus teaches on this same theme in Matthew 7. You probably all remember the the object lesson that Jesus uses in Matthew 7. He says, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock, which is the word of God. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. And what happened? It fell with a great crash. And so the first false hope that this writer of the psalm puts forth is that hope in our own building. The proper hope is in God and in his instruction and in his his word and his wisdom and his son. That's where you need to put your hope. The first false hope is putting hope in what we can build in the skill of our own building ourselves. And then the song turns to a second false hope. the, The false hope of security or of governance or watchfulness. If you're reading along, it says, unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. And so you can imagine King Solomon as he's writing this. He's probably out in his gardens at night and he's looking around this great city that he's reconstructed and built and made more beautiful than ever before in the high walls. And he can see up on the walls, he can see the torches and he can see the campfires of the watchmen on the walls. And he's writing this song and he says, unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. And so he sees the campfires and he sees the torches and he sees that the guards are alert and the guards are watching for danger. They're protecting the city. And he realizes, King Solomon in his wisdom realizes, no matter how alert and awake my guardsmen are, they cannot guarantee the security of the city and its people on their own. And in our own day, it's a little bit like seeing the police cars as we're driving around on our roads. And assuming you don't immediately feel guilty because you're a bit of a lawbender, uh, your, your reaction is to feel good, right? Like, okay, good, there's the OPP driving by, checking on the cottages, making sure things are good. We feel thankfulness that they're watching over our homes and our cottages and our property. And they're doing the proper job of ticketing that jerk that cut me off at the lights. That's the job they're supposed to be doing, not chasing me, right? So we feel good about our policemen. We feel good about the security. Canada is one of the best police nations on the planet. We can love and we can appreciate our law enforcement officers for making Canada easily one of the safest nations on earth. But I bet if I asked you to jiggle your pocket right now or shake your purse, what would I hear? If you shook your pocket right now, would you hear? Would I hear this? So we live in Canada. We live in one of the safest nations on earth, but we all still have these things. We all still have locks on our doors. Why is that? Because we know... In our heart, we know that not everything, no matter how watchful, no matter how good our police force is, no matter how secure we make our laws, no matter how great our court systems are, there are still forces at work that make us insecure, that the world remains insecure. And that feeling of insecurity increases rather alarmingly. You may not think you're that insecure with your house or your cottage here in Halliburton, But if we start to think beyond our own small town and we start to think about the nation or the continent and the world, our sense of insecurity rises really quickly, doesn't it, with what's going on in the world right now? Can a week go by that there's not another bombing? Can a week go by that somebody does not drive a truck through a party? 
You know, can a week go by that there are not another half million refugees on the road to somewhere? We're all too aware that the hearts and minds of mankind are bent towards selfishness and towards power, and ultimately that leads us to violence, and that violence can sweep whole nations aside in a matter of months. And so we understand that our security does not lie in police or armies or governance because it can all change overnight. And so the second false hope is trusting in our social constructs and trusting in our governance, trusting in armies and police forces being able to provide our security. And so then that's the second false hope that he puts forth, that the watchmen are not enough, that we can't just guard ourselves enough. And then the songwriter, Solomon, turns his thoughts inwardly, perhaps as he's out in his garden walking around, he's considered the city, he's considered the walls, he's walking back into his own house. He's walking back in from his gardens into his household, and he's considering his own life and what goes on inside the walls of any home in the city and the striving and the efforts of parents everywhere. And he puts forth the third false hope, is confidence in our own anxious, worrisome effort. And Solomon realizes that security cannot be found for our children, even in the very best of parents and parenting. He says in verse 2, It's useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. Or literally, uh, in the Hebrew there, literally eating from anxious and worrying labor. And so now it's clear in this example that Solomon is contemplating even devoted parents. He's not talking about lazy or negligent parents. He's talking about good parents. He's talking about people devoted to their children and family. It's a father who is working long hours because he desires to provide and care for his children. right? It's a mother who spends long hours at work or at home providing and caring for them. And even to do so anxiously, they're worried about providing more for their children than they had themselves. And worried for them as well. You know, we think of our children, especially when they get to that age when the curfew keeps getting later and later, and eventually their curfew passes our bedtime, right? <laughs> you know, and so you're laying there and they're out and, you know, 10.30 comes. Well, if it's my bedtime, 10 o'clock comes, right? <laughs> you know, for you adults, it'd be like 10.30 or 11 or 11.30, but for me it's 10, but... Um, you know, 11 o'clock comes and you go to bed, you're thinking, okay, I'll go to bed and they're still out, so you're not sleeping, right? You're just waiting until you hear the door jingle or something. You're waiting for something, right? 11.30 comes, 12 o'clock, you're thinking, okay, they're going to be here 12 o'clock. Then 12.05 comes. You're not sleeping, right? There's no way you're going to sleep at this point because they're supposed to be home at midnight and it's now five after. So you are wide awake, right? And you're waiting to hear the car pull in or you're waiting for something, but there's that anxiousness. You're waiting to hear the stairs creak. But this anxiety and this effort does not guarantee security for our children. In fact, our very anxiety may be what ultimately harms them or provides for their insecurity. The anxiety, and this is what I mean, the anxiety and the stress of, say, a workaholic parent that feels pressured to provide material things for the family in their workaholism. They may provide an atmosphere of so much stress and so much anxiety for their children that it, it creates resentment in their children or it even drives their children away from them. So even as they're anxiously trying to provide, they may be creating an environment in the home that actually harms their children. Or in the same way, the natural protectiveness of so many mothers in concern for their children, that worry and that anxiety does not actually help keep them safe. And in the process, that worry and anxiety may create an atmosphere of mistrust where you don't trust them or you don't trust God. 
And any attitude of anxiety or worry, even for what we think are good reasons, if it remains constant in the home, it teaches your children. It subtly sends a message to your children, and sometimes not so subtly. There's one clear message that they get from anxiety and fear in the home. We don't trust God. We're worried about money, or we're worried about safety, or we're worried about what the neighbors think, or we're worried about the future. And the children learn from our worry that we don't ultimately trust God because we're worried all the time and we're anxious. Soren Kierkegaard, he's a Danish philosopher. He's one of the philosophical founders of what we now call existentialism. And that's as complicated as it's going to get. Don't worry, there won't be a test. But Soren Kierkegaard once said, speaking of his own father, it's interesting what he wrote. This is a guy who thought a lot. He knew what was going on in his head. He said, the worst thing in the world was not to have a free thinker or an atheist as a father. The worst thing in the world for a child is a father that professes to believe Christianity to the letter, but breathes out in his daily life that he doesn't really trust in God, either for his own security or the security of his children. Isn't that insightful? Kierkegaard said, the worst thing is not having an atheist as a father. It's far worse to have a Christian as a father who breathes out in his daily life that he does not trust in God for his security. And we're all very conscious of security these days. right? A week can't go by without another bomb, another attack, another coup. There's a deep sense of anxiety in the world. So where do your children believe that security lies? Where do your children believe that your trust lies? Do your words and actions teach them where your trust is? Do we breathe out to our children that the faith that we profess is also the conviction of our heart, that we really ultimately trust God for everything? That's what the kids learned this week. Trust God. That's what this psalm is about. Trust God. Because now the song changes with the middle verse. Solomon, in this middle section, this, this exact middle of the song, he turns to the answer, to the one true hope. He says, but God gives rest to his loved ones. There's the answer. It's God who gives rest to his loved ones. And quickly, we'll look at the last couple verses here and what they teach us. We have to recognize, first of all, who our children belong to, to be this family that receives rest from God. He says in verse 3, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children are God's gift. They're God's first and they're yours second. Or more literally, the verse reads that children are a heritage from the Lord. They're part of his estate. The most important thing for us as parents then is that if our children come from God, is not simply to wind our children tighter and tighter to ourselves as though we can provide security for them. Our job as parents then is to bind our children closer and closer and tighter and tighter to God as their ultimate father who provides ultimate security for them. And we bind them tightly to God by the example and the teaching of our own faith and by what we say and what we breathe out in our lives. That's how we bind them closer to God. We picked up Isaac this past week from work at Camp Mediba because he had to go get his training certificate to finalize his M2 motorcycle license. And uh, so while we were running this errand and we were driving along, and uh, while he's getting permission to sort of fly around the streets without any fenders or frame or airbags between himself and the other cars, which is a relevant point, at the same time, he also asks us, what do you think if I went to Ecuador for a year? And so here is an example of what we breathe out as parents. 
How does our faith inform our response here? First of all, with the motorcycle license. Second of all, with a year in Ecuador. Can we trust in the infrastructure, in the governance? Are we going to trust in the Ecuadorian police? I don't know. I don't know that much about Ecuador and their police force. Right? Are we going to trust in our parenting? Do we panic because none of those things we know are going to be trustworthy? Do we respond in anxiety as Christian parents? No, because our trust is not in those things. Our trust is always ultimately in God. And so I say that not to say that you know, we are amazing parents. Any of you who know us realize that isn't true. But one of the things I think we can say is that we're not anxious parents because Isaac is God's child. And so we very lovingly respond, pack your bags, there's the door. <laughs> I think you're done work on the 28th. We can get a flight for the 29th. But everything that Isaac is and everything that Isaac will be is a reward to us from God. He is God's gift to us. And so we breathe out as much as we can. And we're not perfect parents, but we breathe out as much as we can to Isaac that we trust in God by not worrying, by not being anxious for him, by encouraging him to be dangerous and to be bold with his life. Because look at what else Solomon says. He says, children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. What does that mean? Well, really quickly here, in the second half of the song, the parents, the family that has recognized the truth of verse 3, reaps the benefit of verses 4 and 5. They realize that their children have a purpose in God. The children are no longer a source of worry, but as they grow up in a house built by God, and watched over by God, and cared for and provided for by God, then those children are not a source of worry anymore. They're released into the world like an arrow from a warrior's bow. Those children are released from your household with power and effectiveness. And so often we pray and hope and work towards the end that our children be safe. How often do we pray that our children be safe? But the prayer here of this psalmist, these parents did not want their children to be safe. They wanted their children to be powerful. They wanted their children to be dangerous, to shoot forth out of their family like an arrow from the bow of a warrior. And that's what the children are like that come from families that are built not in vain, but built by God and watched over by God and provided for by God. The father, the mother, that parent will not be put to shame, and this is the second part, by the gossip of the town. They won't be put to shame by the Facebook posts of their neighbors. Nobody's going to be able to level an accusation against these parents that build their house on the foundation of God and on His wisdom and trust in God for their security and not worry about whether it's Trump or Hillary in power or whether it's Trudeau or Harper. Our confidence is not in politicians and in policemen and in the security of economics, but our trust is in God and families that don't work themselves up or work themselves out for their children, those families won't be disappointed. They will stand secure at the city gates. There will be no accusation being able to be leveled at them because their children will go forth from those families with confidence and power and they'll be dangerous foe to the enemy. So this is one of the songs that they sang as they took that long road up to Jerusalem. 
They were marching purposely towards the city and the temple of God. And as these Israelites were marching towards the temple of their God, they were singing this song about their family and about their kids. And the interesting thing here is to keep in mind, remember, put yourself in the place of the psalmist is what you, how you learn the most. So keep in mind here that this is a song that their children could hear them sing. The parents were not going up to Jerusalem alone. All the kids were coming with them. And so the kids are marching along with them and they're hearing their parents sing this song about where they're going to put their trust. And the children could hear their parents sing this song and they could reflect on what they were singing and they could consider whether as their parents sang, whether what their parents really believed or not as they sang it. Because they're marching along with them and they're thinking, yeah, I hear you, dad and mom talking that way, but I remember last week at home in the tent, right? You say that it's not about building our own empire, but dad, you work really hard to build that empire. You know, you say it's not about the police and the watchmen and the governance and it's not about the safety, but you, you worry and you fret and you wring your hands when those guards don't go by or I'm home late, you're all worried about it. So those, those children, they got their eyes and their ears on their parents as they're singing this song and they know whether what they're singing in public matches up to what's going on in private. And so this was an important song for them to sing as they went. Sure, they could sing it here with everybody listening. Right? We're great parents when we're here. Right? You know, we talk about all the good things that we do as parents. And then our kids are sitting there next to us saying, yeah, tell them the other story, right? Tell them about the fight that we had in the car on the way to church. So we can sing a good song here in the assembly, in the congregation as we go up to the temple. But our children are listening and watching and hearing what we sing and they know what the true story is. And so that should hit us at home, right? Right? What about you? What about me? What about, what do your children see at home? Not just what do you sing at church. Not just what do you say in front of your Christian friends, but what do they see at home? What do your actions and your words really communicate to your children? What lesson are they learning from you by the way you put your trust or not in God? Or the way you put your trust in your work or your career or in your home or in your RRSP or in whether the, po- the right politician gets into power or you know whether we keep the refugees out of Canada or let the refugees in Canada? What are our concerns? And do our, par- do our children pick up from us what we really trust and who we really trust? Don't breathe out worry. Don't breathe out anxiousness. Put your trust in God. Or does all your action and all your words and all your demeanor teach your children one thing over and over and over again, day in, day out, whether you're singing in the congregation or whether you're privately at home? Does all your work and all your demeanor, everything breathe out that they can trust in God in everything and in every way because you trust in God? Second Timothy 2, 11 to 13, I'll just close with this, sums it up so well. Paul is writing to, second, to his friend, not 2 Timothy, it's his first friend Timothy, in his 2 Timothy letter. He's writing to Timothy and he says, This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he'll deny us. But if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Paul's talking about God. Paul is saying, you absolutely can trust in God because he cannot deny who he is. God is a faithful God and he will never break his faithfulness because he cannot deny his own character. And so when we're with our children, not just singing in the congregation, but when we're with our children, in every decision, in every word we speak, in all the things that we do, are we singing this song, are we breathing this out to them 
that we trust God in everything. Because God is the only sure hope that we have in this world. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for that lesson that the kids taught us. Trust God. Thank you for this psalm that sings the exact same harmony to our heart. Trust God, parents. Trust God with your kids. Don't breathe out worry and anxiety and uncertainty in their lives. Live a life, parents, that show them that you trust God. You trust them when they miss curfew. You trust God when you lose your job. You trust God when you send them out into the world because they are a gift from you. They are part of your estate. They are a heritage of God. And we want them to fly from our homes with confidence and trust and be powerful in the world. Teach us, Lord, to trust you with everything, even that closest to us, our own children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.